This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. As we start this series on the love of God, take your Bibles with me and turn to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. And I hope that I can share with you some great spiritual truths that you can hang on to today. This is not an evangelistic preaching type of sermon series, but I believe it's impacted with a lot of truth, spiritual truth, things that can embrace you with encouragement and motivation, and that's my prayer. So I encourage you to listen to the Word of God today as it goes forth. We have several sermons in this series, and I pray that it will bless you. I think some things that you hear today can help you hold on in the low times of your life. They are definitely nuggets of encouragement and I think uh, great motivational pickups if you apply them to your heart and life and refresh yourself with them from time to time. Well, let's begin with this text today in the Love of God series and I'm preaching this morning, God Still Loves the World. I want you to think about that. God still loves the world. In 1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse number 7, and we'll read through verse number 10. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God towards us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. Now, perhaps this morning you do not know what this word propitiation is. It's a big word. It has a big definition. Underline it if you're accustomed to writing in your Bible. And let me tell you what this word means. This word propitiation means that Jesus became our vicarious substitute on the cross. There was nothing anyone could do other than Jesus. And the truth of the matter is this. We're the ones who should have been crucified. We're the ones who should have suffered and died. But Jesus, only Jesus, God's Son, could take our place. And so this word propitiation means two big, enormous things. It means that Jesus became our vicarious substitute, meaning he took our place. But the debt that he paid, the blood that he shed, was the only thing that God could receive or God accepted. So God was satisfied with the payment of sin through the blood of Jesus. 
he became satisfied. The debt was paid. So when you read this word here, it's impacted with great spiritual truth. And I want you to understand it. It's not a word that we use a lot. Very seldom when we get to places like this, it's mentioned a few other places in the scripture, but I do want you to know that Jesus took our place and the debt was paid by the blood of the Lord Jesus that was accepted and satisfied by God. So when you know now the meaning of this word that has a big definition to it, let's read it again with that in mind. In verse 10, herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son. Let's understand the meaning. God sent his son to be our vicarious substitute and paid the debt that satisfied God for our sins. Sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. God still loves the world. One of the greatest truths that the entire human race needs to know today is this. That the message of the cross that was prophesied in the Old Testament, and by the way, the first prophecy of a coming Messiah goes all the way back to Genesis 3.15. And from that place, all throughout the scripture in the Old Testament, the prophets preached and proclaimed that the Messiah would come. Some of the most profound scriptures that we hold on to come out of the book of Isaiah. But all the prophets spoke of the coming of the Messiah, the return of the Lord, the kingdom established. But the message of the cross going all the way back from Genesis to Malachi, I want you to understand then 400 years of silence between Malachi and Matthew. And then as we think about the Lord Jesus coming upon this earth, the message of the cross from the Old Testament, the message of the cross from the New Testament, and a little over 2,000 years ago when Jesus died on the cross, Here's the thing, what the cross had to say in the Old Testament, what the cross had to say in the New Testament is still the message today. God still loves the world. It's hard to believe that in a world like we live in today. I've never in my life, and I want you to think, most of you can identify with this, has seen a time when the world has had such a hatred towards God. I, I, I never can recall this in my childhood. I don't know where you grew up and your environments and those kind of things, but I've never in my life experienced what I experienced. Now, when I started school, when I started the first grade back in 1963, and I've shared this before a time or two, but I can remember on my very first day to school, when we walked into the classroom, the teachers had our desk pre-assigned. And on top of all of our desks, there was a Gideon New Testament. 
Now, let me ask you, because I'm curious to know, did anyone else other than me experience that? Did you, did you get? I see several hands. A Gideon New Testament on top of my desk. And uh, we would read a passage from this Gideon New Testament. We would stand and we would recite the model prayer, Our Father which is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. This is in public school. Then we would stand and put our hands over our heart and we would say the Pledge of Allegiance. Nobody kneeled. I pledge allegiance to the flag. We, we had the pledge. We pledged. We read the Psalms. We read, I think, maybe something in John occasionally. We said the pledges. And by, by the way, back in those days when somebody asked, was asked a question, they had to get out of their, had to raise their hand, then they had to get out of their seat and stand straight and speak. Time has changed. Time has changed. But I don't ever remember a time from when I first started school until now. 64 years old. I, I, I don't recall a time in my life where I've ever seen or experienced such a hatred, a hatred, a vehement hatred to God and towards God. The world has changed since then. Back in 1963, there was a movement going on by a renowned national atheist, Madeleine Murray O'Hara, that led a political movement across the nation, basically, that resulted in prayer being removed from the public schools. But it didn't stop there. As time digressed and things got worse, even in our modern day, we are now limited to where we can put nativity scenes because it offends people. Certain types of religious jewelry cannot be worn or displayed. Certainly no one can lay a Bible on their desk in the workplace by large. Public prayer has been eliminated, especially in commencement ceremonies. But let me tell you this, and think with me this morning. From the time that God spoke, let there be light. From the time that he created man in his own likeness and his image, through the entire Old Testament, through the entire New Testament, and here we are today in the last of the last days. Listen carefully. In spite of all of the hatred towards God, there has never been a human being born beyond his love. Never. There's a vehement progression, I think, of demonic influence on God's greatest creation and I think all of us understand that somewhat. The sad thing is this, millions of people all over the world have never recognized his love. In my opinion, there's no greater misreality than not to understand, not to accept, not to embrace the fact that God loves us all. 
Every last one of us. You know, it's a sad thing not to know his love, but it's another thing altogether to reject his love and to deny his love. Several years ago, I think I told you this before, I was walking in the mall and I saw a teenager and he had a shirt on that said this. He said, American by birth, Antichrist by choice. It's just a young kid. When I saw that, I began to question, man, what in the world does he have going on in his life? Who's teaching him? Who's training him? Who is the influence with him? And listen carefully. I wonder how many people live from day to day feeling honestly in their heart that God does not love them. I want you to think about some of these things today because I believe it will jart some reality encouragement with you. There are people that feel today that God could not possibly love them. They really feel that way. You might know somebody like that. Maybe you, you know a family member. Maybe you know a friend. And they're going through all kinds of devastations and they're believing. They have convinced themselves that God, there's just no way that God could love them. They're living miserable lives under the mindset that God just for whatever reason have wrote them off. I don't know whether being taught that from childhood that there is no God or because of some kind of shattering circumstances that have taken place in their life, maybe some type of broken relationship, I don't know, maybe health infirmities, maybe perhaps feeling less fortunate than somebody else. I don't know. Some people get out of their beds every morning feeling as though that God has never even acknowledged their existence. But one of the most important facts about the Bible is this. Today, as always, God still loves the world. And every person in the world, every single one of us, that profound thought should begin and end each day of our life. It should define every goal that we have. It should govern every action that we take. It should dominate every thought that we have that we are truly, truly loved by God. And we have to keep in mind that God not only loves us when we're good. God not only loves us when we have received him as our personal savior, his son, Jesus. He not only loves us when we please him. He not only loves us when we fall deeper out of love with him. But I want you to understand something today. Get this truth. Get this reality. God loves us when we fail. God loves us when we break his heart. He loves us when we disobey him. He loves us when we drift out of his will. He loves us when we take his name in vain. He loves us when we take him for granted. The fact remained that God loves us no matter who we are and no matter where we are. God loves us all the same. The Bible constantly reminds us that it's not the will of the Father that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. There's a scripture I want you to see this morning in 1 John chapter 4, verse number 16. 
And the word says this, and we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. Now, I want you to understand this a little bit better. There are two important things that we should not confuse about God's love. This is important. Two important things not to confuse about God's love. First of all, we cannot reverse this concept, this teaching, this text. When we take the word of God out of context and we change it or we modernize it or, and we lose the important truths. And so here's the thing that I want you to see this morning. The Bible says that God is love, but all love is not of God. Wrap yourself around that today. God is love, but not all love is of God. When we begin to think that all love comes from God, we're headed for trouble. Because you see, there are many different kinds of false loves in this world. There are counterfeit expressions of love all around us. A parent may say this, I'm not going to discipline my child because I love them too much. I pray you've not said it, but probably you've heard it. Maybe somebody has said this, let them learn by their own mistakes. Well, believe me, we're going to make a lot of them on our own. If we've got somebody helping us not to make some, isn't that a wonderful thing? Now, that's not real love. Listen, people can become obsessed with money, but the Bible says that the love of it is the root of all evil. People can have sexual encounters outside of the realm of marriage and call it love, but God calls it adultery and fornication. And those kinds of love do not even bear the resemblance of the love of God. So, listen carefully, not all love is of God. But secondly, we cannot assume that because God has to deal with us harshly at times, that he does not love us at that moment. Let me say that again. Some people believe that because God has to deal with them harshly, that for some ever reason, God has put the pause button on love. He's not done that. There's a scripture in Hebrews chapter 12, verse number five through seven, and it says this, have you forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto the children? My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? So please try to understand this. It's not just the fact that we know God loves. According to the word of God, we know that. But the real truth is this. God is love. And God's love is not from a cause. Listen carefully. You've got to get this truth today. God's love is not from a cause that any of us initiated. Think with me this morning. We did absolutely nothing to cause God to love us. Not a thing. This is something that the world teaches about love. The world says that if you do this or you do that, 
if you meet certain conditions because of your good actions or because of your, your intellect or because of your wealth or because you lurk a certain way, then you can get people to love you. That's the world's philosophy. The world's love, its concept of love, always has conditions placed upon it. From our human perspectives and our human relationships. And here's the thing. We generally do not love people who manifest unattractive or repelling actions towards us. But God's love is not like that. From the very beginning, when God made a choice, even before the worlds were created, Jesus was the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. From the very beginning, it's always been, God's love has always been unprompted and uninfluenced. I want to share with you five things real quickly here. You have them on your bulletin this morning about God's love. First thing, number one, look at it carefully. God's love is uncaused. You see, there was nothing we ever did or ever could do to cause God to love us. And there is nothing in this world that we can do that will ever stop God from loving us. God still loves this world simply because he is God. This is an amazing truth. Listen to this. Wrap yourself around it this morning. There's nothing that any of us can do that can make God love us any more then he loves us right now. Can you think about that just for a moment? Think through that. There's not one thing that we can do to make God love us any more than he does right now. Nothing. Well, you say, well, what if I pray my prayers every night? What if I give my tithes? Listen, there's nothing you can do to make God love you any more than he does right now and more than he always has. There's no greater achievement. There's no greater beauty. There's no greater fame. There's no greater level of spirituality. There is nothing that we have ever done or there is nothing that we could ever do to make God love us any less than what he does right now. No sin. Listen, this ought to be a blessing to your heart today. There is no sin, there is no failure that can ever weaken the love that God has for this world. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9, the scripture says this, Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and the disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers and manslayers. You see, listen carefully today. God's love, get this truth today. God's love is not a reaction. Think about that. God's love is an action, not a reaction. So God's love is uncaused. There's nothing we did to initiate God to love us. It's uncaused. Number two, God's love is unreasonable. Now, this is the one you have to look at a little bit harder, I think, because at first somebody might say, well, pastor, that statement is blatantly presumptuous, but 
I assure you, I'm not using it in a derogatory way. When you stop and think about it, when you look at this, I think it makes us grateful that his love is unreasonable because from the very first day that Adam and Eve sinned against God, mankind as a whole began to rebel against God. And every single day since then, man has drifted away from him. Man has rebelled against him. And as a whole, man has only given God nothing but disappointment and heartbreak. You think about that. And so from our perspective, if God had chosen to deal with this world in a reasonable way from our perspective, after all of the setback and out of the heartache and all of the anguish that we have created for God and that we have done to God, from our perspective, if God had dealt with us in a reasonable way, he would have abandoned us and destroyed man and the earth a long time ago, if that were the case. There's a prime example in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So while God's love to this world remains unreasonable to a lot of us, from his view, listen now, it's not irrational. In Romans chapter 5, verse 6 and 8, the apostle Paul makes it clear that the thought of God's love being unreasonable, look what he says. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet preadventure for a good man, some would have even dared to die. But God commended his love towards us. And this is why we, we consider it to be unreasonable. Why would he do this? God commended his love towards us. And that while we were yet sinners, look at this, Christ died for us. I wonder how many people here today would give their life for a good neighbor. You got a good neighbor that cuts your grass sometimes or bring you soup when you're sick. You've got a good neighbor that gets your mail in for whenever you go out of town on vacation. I wonder how many in here today are watching by internet would give your life for a good neighbor. Or I wonder how many in here today would give your life for a vile criminal. Think about that. I don't know that any of us would do that. We would say absolutely not. And that would be reasonable to all of us. But that's exactly what Jesus did for us. When you think what he did for us on the cross, when Jesus died for us, we were all card-carrying members of the eternal on-your-way-to-hell crowd, every one of us. We were all card-carrying members of the enemies of God foundation, every single one of us. The crucifixion of Jesus Christ, listen now, was God's manifestation of how unreasonable his love really is to all of us. His love is so great and far-reaching and so overpowering that we should never cease to thank God for his unreasonable love. The Bible says, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Number three, I want you to see this. God's love is unending. I want to give you three passages of scripture. Psalms chapter 90, verse two, the Bible says this, before the mountains were brought forth or ever thou 
has formed the earth and the world even from everlasting. Look at this. From everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. In Isaiah 57, verse 15, they'll get these scriptures on the screen for you quickly. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth, look at this, inhabiteth eternity. Whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. And then in Revelation chapter 1 and verse number 8, God says, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning, the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. And so all of these passages that I read you here, these three, speak specifically of God's eternal nature. You see, God has never been limited to time and space, never. There's never been a human being that has ever stepped outside of time and space. But we can only occupy, listen now, one specific location, one fleeting moment at a time. But God's love is everywhere. He is omnipresent everywhere. God's love existed deep in the depths of eternity before time was ever begun. And God's love is never ending. And the reason why his love is never ending, because he is eternal. Number four, God's love is unlimited. And some people stumble through this world really believing that God does not love them because of a terrible past. Let me say this. If we're going to be honest with everybody here today, honest with ourselves, honest with God, we all have one. Thank God because you're here today. Listen, and I think I can say on your behalf because you know the Lord is your personal Savior. Aren't you glad what, that you're not what you used to be? We, we may not be all that we should be. But thank God we're not what we were. Amen. The merciful, long-reaching, stretched-out hands of God. Think about this. None of us have arrived. None of us are perfect. We're all still on the journey. But I think many of us in here today have learned some hard knocks of the past. Thank God we're not what we used to be. So you think about this. God's love is unlimited. Some people say, God cannot love me because of a past that I've had. Or maybe somebody is saying that God cannot love me because of the current circumstances that that I'm in. But the truth of the matter is this. There is never the possibility of God not loving you no matter what your past is, no matter what your presence is. Listen, there is no thing that can separate you from the love of God. Nothing. So it doesn't matter how convinced people may feel that God could never love them because of all the wrong in their life. They will always come up with the wrong answer because God's divine math doesn't work like human math. When you add up all of your flaws and all of the reasons why you think God could not love you, his answer is, I love you anyway. 
Romans 5, verse number 5, And hope maketh not a shame, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts, because the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. Now, you have to put your thinking cap on here just for a minute. Listen carefully. This does not mean that the Holy Spirit has been given to us so that we can love God. Absolutely not. But rather, God has poured out his Spirit into our hearts that we might begin to understand his great love for us. And when the Holy Spirit reveals God's love to us, because listen, we were born sinners. We, we did not come out of the womb singing, oh, how I love Jesus. The Holy Spirit, when he comes into us, he reveals to us the love of God, how much God loves us, the price that God paid for our redemption, everything that God did in order that we could have a relationship with him. We don't just come up with that. It's the Holy Spirit that enlightens us to this. And when the Holy Spirit enlightens us to the fact of what God did for us, then we love him because he first loved us. That's how it begins. Number five, and I want our musicians to come forward. God's love for this world is unchanging. As I mentioned in the beginning of this message today, the world is changing faster and faster every single day. Leaders are changing, laws are changing, economy's changing, money's changing, everything around us is changing. Politics, health, everything that you know about yesterday probably doesn't even exist anymore. Things are changing every single minute that the clock ticks. But the one thing that remains consistent is the character of God. He cannot, he will not change. I want you to see this. I'm going to give you three scriptures here quickly. In Malachi 3, 6, God said, For I am the Lord. You can read them quickly on the screen. For I am the Lord. I change not. Therefore, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. Hebrews chapter 13, verse number 8. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. And James chapter 1, verse number 17. The word says, Every good gift and perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. That word, that term, no variableness, means that God cannot change. He is not going to change. He has declared, I am the Lord. I'm not going to change. So listen, if God loved us in the beginning, he's not going to change that. If he loved us in the Old Testament, he's not going to change that. He loves us in the New Testament, he's not going to change that. Doesn't matter how vile, wicked, or foul we are, there is nothing we can do to make God love us any less or make God love us any more. If we want to see God's love, look at the cross. The truth of the matter is, God hasn't changed from the very beginning. I believe, yes, he's disappointed in our mannerisms and what we have become and how we digressed. He was, listen carefully, on his way to this love-redeeming cross, Peter had denied him, Thomas had doubted him, Judas had betrayed him, and his disciples had fallen asleep on him in the garden of Gethsemane while he was in the beginning to agonize over his sufferings and his soon coming to the cross. These disciples, this amazes me. And Jesus, you, you think about what he was going through in the garden, all because of the love of God. 
praying and agonizing, perspiring, great drops of blood, knowing what was soon to come. And you know what his disciples were doing just moments earlier? They were arguing over who was going to occupy the uppermost seats in the kingdom. And Jesus is getting ready to face a barbaric crucifixion. These disciples were arguing, yet in spite of all of that, in spite of everything we have done against him and contrary to him, he humbled himself. You know what he did while those disciples, he knew what was going to come in each one of their lives. He knew what was going to happen in each one of their actions. But you know what he did? Knowing all things, he's omniscient, he knows all things. This is what he did. Instead of calling them out by name in front of everybody, even, even when he excused Judas from the table, he said, listen, whatever you're going to do, he didn't call him by name. He said, whatever, him that I dipped the sop, that's what he said. But he said, do what you do quickly. Those disciples didn't know who it was. They turned to one another and said, is it me? Is it I, Lord? But Jesus, on his way to, pay me, to paying God's redemptive plan of salvation, this is what he did. He didn't say, this fellow here, Judas, let me tell you all about him, what he's getting ready to do. And in just a few minutes, Peter, oh man, you've said all these great things about loving me and going to jail for me and never denying me and so forth. But listen, just a little bit, you're going to deny me. And he didn't do that. This is what he did. Knowing all of those things were going to happen, he got down on his knees and he pulled his sleeves up and he washed their feet. You think about that. God's love is redeeming. It's atoning. It wasn't just a love for his disciples, but I believe for one of the greatest verses in the Bible is the one I want to share with you right now. It's found in John chapter 17 and verse number 20. If you have that on your bulletin, circle it because it's a verse you will want to go back to and read again. This is what Jesus said. Neither pray I for these alone but for them also who shall be that you can write your name in the Bible right there. If you know Jesus, you can write your name in the Bible right there, but for them also, which believe on me through their word. Now for you and I listen carefully and I'm going to draw a conclusion to this. There's a good side and a better side of God's love. The good side is this. God is not going to determine tomorrow that he has had enough of me and he's had enough of you and going to decide, you know what? It's time for a fresh group. I'm just going to put this group aside and I'm going to start afresh with this group. Listen, God's not going to do that to you tomorrow. He's not going to do it to you today. He's not going to do it to you the day after that. But the better side is this. If you woke up tomorrow and you decided you've had enough for, of God, you've come to the conclusion, I don't, want to, I don't want to do all this Jesus thing anymore. Man, I got to get up on Sunday morning and go to Sunday school. I got to go in there and sing with these people that can't carry a tune in the bucket. You want me to sit beside this person? You want me to do, you want me, I'm just tired of doing this stuff. Jesus will love you just as much if you say that and do that 
as he did on the cross. That's the better side of it. He's still going to love us anyway, in spite of everything going on. He says this in 1 Timothy 2, 4, who will have all men to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth. Always remember this in our close. Always remember this. If you write down one thing I've said today in the message, write this thing down. Don't lose this. God will always hate sin. But he will always love sinners. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.